0: The ball pit in question was a kid's dream. It was part of an enormous funhouse complex with tubes and slides and colorful canvas corridors and bridges, netting, mini rope swings, perspex glass domes to peer out of. It was an amazing place. You could spend all day in there. The building was nautical themed. Painted waves adorned the walls, cut out pirates occupied the lobby, and a massive plastic sunken ship half submerged beneath the colored balls was the centerpiece of the complex. Looking back, I'm not sure if the ship was really all that big, but through the eyes of a child, it was towering. We were eleven when we went hunting for the shark, my friend and I. Tommy's his name. I was staying over at his house, and following an afternoon spent reminiscing about the good times and parties we'd had at the place, the watery wild house it was called, we decided that in the middle of the night who would sneak out of his house and head on over. It was only a 20-minute walk. The stories of the shark were well known. The rumor was that the Wild House had originally included a life-size fiberglass shark as one of its decorations. Deciding eventually that it was too scary for the kids, but too lazy to have it extracted and properly moved out, the owners had supposedly just covered it up with the ball pit balls and left it perpetually hidden. Or so the stories went. And on this particular night, we were going to find out if the stories were true. Tommy had brought along his Polaroid to document the evidence. We didn't have phones. This was the year 2000, and I dare say we would have been too young for them anyway. My duty was to carry the stepladder. All part of the plan. We'd been earlier in the day, you see, to the wild house partially cracked open one of the upper bathroom windows. So why wouldn't we just search for the shark in the day then, you might ask? A couple of reasons. Entry to the ball pit itself costs money, and money is something we did not have. There were no little kids about at night to get in the way or disturb our efforts, for one thing. But the main reason we were going at night was just for the sheer thrill of it. Doing something you're not supposed to. Breaking the rules. Going somewhere that's busy in the day and empty at night, it was exhilarating. We ducked down by the hedgerow a few times to avoid the occasional lights of passing cars, and it wasn't long before we were making our way up towards the building. Sneaking around the back, we grinned and bumped fists into light. The window was still cracked open, just as we'd left it. I remember grunting with effort as I hoisted Tommy up onto my shoulders. "'staggering about on the top step of the little ladder "'as he fumbled with the window, "'sliding his fingers under and pushing it open. "'He grabbed onto the side and, with effort, "'forced himself through. "'After a moment or two his arm disappeared, "'and I jumped for it. "'A few attempts and an almost dislocated shoulder later, "'we were successful, "'and I clambered through the window "'and jumped down onto the row of sinks beneath, "'hopping down onto the floor after Tommy.' Our footsteps made loud echoes in the darkness, and as we began to properly move about, the automatic lights flickered suddenly alive with an accompanying warning buzz. We both froze for a moment. Tommy shot me a look, and we laughed. This is insane, he said. Yeah, I giggled back. I know. We would get in so much trouble if we were caught in here, Tommy muttered, as we pushed through the bathroom door and into the main lobby. The shadowed pirates watched in silence as we passed them by. Hey, don't try and psych me out now, man, I said to him. You were the one that convinced me to do this. I know, I know, I'm just screwing with you, he chuckled. And we came to a stop by the entrance to the ball pit. A gate of sorts through the netting and into the world beyond. We turned and looked around. It's creepy when there's no one else here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. The place was deathly quiet, but for the distant buzz of the bathroom lights and the occasional rumble and click of the building's unseen electrics. He grinned and without another word, he pushed through the gate and into a colorful blue foam corridor, shrouded in darkness. My heart began to beat faster with the anticipation, and I struggled momentarily with the nerves. Tommy had always been braver than me. This whole thing had been his idea, really. I was secretly envious of his confidence and his courage, and I always had been. There's no way I would have suggested something as exciting as a midnight break-in by myself. I swallow and push through, following on into the corridor. Without the consent, welcome chaos of kids all running and jumping around, the complex felt eerie and alien. Deserted. Evacuated. Abandoned. You should not be here, the painted murals of the sea creatures seemed to say. The friendly, welcoming expressions they boasted in the daylight were gone. They watched us instead with accusatory glares, sending goosebumps shooting up across my skin as we passed them by. Crossing over a canvas bridge that swayed a little under our weight, we came upon a platform that connected to a tunnel slide. In the darkness of the night, the tunnel seemed simultaneously and perhaps, paradoxically, both intensely claustrophobic in its narrowness, yet void-like in its depth. I looked around its sides, then stared down into it with anxious fascination. The canvas walls and foam layers of floor around us made it impossible to see where the slide led to, and I could not recall from childhood memory its destination. I tried to be brave. I imagined what Tommy would do. So I tapped on the inside with my knuckles and muttered out a feeble, Hello, which echoed down the pipe. Tommy laughed, and then, in a sudden movement, he pushed me hard into the tunnel, and I went sprawling into it. My stomach lurched in panic, and I found myself quickly accelerating and sliding down into it face first. I'll see you at the bottom, he called down after me as I descended into the narrow darkness. I could not see, I could only feel. I remember gritting my teeth, eyes wide and searching desperately for a source of light, as I was thrown round in circles and down unseen drops. An irrational and terrible fear shivered through me like ice, a fear that I would never reach the bottom, that the slide would reveal to have no end at all. Round and down I would spin, endlessly falling through the bleak dark of the void, trapped, lost, forgotten. But of course, the slide did have an end, and end it did. After a few quick seconds of feeble, glooming, but welcome gray-blue light rushing towards me, I was thrown into the ball pit below, landing amongst the plastic balls with a gentle clattering. Tommy came down behind me soon after. I thought about voicing my irritation to him, but in the embarrassing wash of relief I felt of having actually come out the other end of the slide... I decided instead to just let it go. So this is the pit. If there's a shark, he's likely somewhere in here, Tommy said, and we looked around. The ball pit seemed much larger now. No other kids to take up space. And the lobby, which in the daylight would have been visible through the layers of netting and canvas and foam, was instead hidden from view. In that moment, the complex might as well have been infinite. We could not even see the far edge of the ball pit. I shivered. It got so cold all of a sudden. I know, right? Tommy replied quietly. It just didn't seem right to speak too loudly, even though we were the only ones there. We began pushing our way through the balls, heading out in slightly separate directions to cover more ground. I pushed beneath the surface and swam a little ways too, squinting and peering around as carefully as I could, looking for anything, any kind of clue or sign of there being a shark. As I came back up to the surface, I felt something small and plastic bounce off the back of my head. One of the balls. I turned to see Tommy with a handful of them in the shadow. He laughed and threw another, and for a while, the pressure of keeping quiet seemed to evaporate. We spent a time just screwing around, jumping around on stuff, taking dumb pictures with the Polaroid, throwing the balls at each other. Oblivious to the steadily lowering temperature, relying to the painted patterns of waves that began to subtly shift and ripple along the walls. I was in what I believed to be one of the ball pit's corners when I found it. We had resumed our search, and I was so focused on looking for the shark beneath that I had failed to realize that the poles and netting that supported the walls had begun to break away, to drift, to sink. I was below the surface myself, pushing aside the plastic balls when well, my hand knocked into something solid. I turned to look, to squint through the darkness. I pushed aside some more of the balls, and the object became clear. A fin. An enormous fiberglass fin. The sound of the building's air conditioner began to rumble in the distance, softly at word, almost imperceptibly. It was too subtle for us to even notice at first. I surfaced in excitement, unable to help myself from shouting. I called Tommy over and he pushed through, and alongside, and together, we hastily moved and threw aside the balls, digging deeper, excavating what could be nothing other than the fabled shark. I can't believe it, I remember saying, with the flashes of archaeological excitement. We found it, we've actually found it. And it's massive, said Tommy. How the hell are we the first ones to find this thing? Are real sharks even this big? It took some genuine effort, but after a while of seeing nothing but the huge fin and the gray arch of its back and its upper head, we had pushed aside enough balls to see something else the shark's eye. Black, cold, staring, and terrifyingly real. And I stopped. Dread overcame me at once. The exhilaration and excitement dissipated instantly. I was left feeling hollow empty and afraid. I felt as if everything in my world had suddenly slowed, and with great effort, I tore my gaze from that of the shark and dragged it around, taking careful stock of our surroundings for the first time since exiting the void of the slide. The foam poles that had once supported the ball pit's walls now stood sad and alone, like the masts of sunken ships extending up from the sea. I could not see the edge, The sound of the air conditioner, if it had ever truly, really been the sound of such, began to shift and change and rise. It warped into the noise of furious ocean waves, crashing steadily and angrily together. My eyes began to sting. I wiped them, but it just made them worse, like salt. I could smell it all around me. And the shark? The shark was no longer dry fiberglass against my hand i felt wet tommy i began retracting my hand in terror my voice catching in my throat like a nightmare i was struggling to speak struggling to breathe my vision had become shimmered at the edges tommy tommy we have to go we have to go now he was fumbling with the camera but he looked up then too his face went white the air was damp i no longer felt dry and we began pushing back through the ball pit, faster, then faster. Pieces of canvas hung down towards the surface of the ball pit, swaying in a bitter and sudden breeze, a breeze which we could feel quickly swell into a loud and biting wind. I staggered. My progress became stilted and awkward. I could no longer feel the bottom of the pit. I shot a desperate look back behind me at Tommy. He was right behind me, a picture of fear, and I saw something else as well, or a lack of something. The shark was gone, and then the balls around us began to churn and shift, slowly at first in time with the sound of the waves, but then stronger, faster. It was hard to tell with such a low level of light, but the balls had originally been in a multitude of bright colors, red, yellow, green, purple. Now they were all in shades of blue or black, I had not noticed them change, but change they had. I looked up towards the ceiling as I pushed and painstakingly swam my way through the ball pit as best as I could, searching for a sign of help, of normality to cling to. But there was no ceiling. Galled and raging clouds swirled and crackled with hidden lightning up above. The apparatus of the complex rocked and swayed. It looked old, rotted, wooden and splintery. I returned my gaze to the ball pit ahead and saw Finn rise above the surface in the distance. I saw it ease into a turn and change its course, swimming around us in ever decreasing circles. Panic struck at the tanners of my constitution. I staggered and pushed my way into a tunnel, a slide, not the same as the one I had come down, but similar. It did not feel plastic, however, it felt metal. I slammed my elbows and my knees into its sides ignoring the throbs of icy pain and clambered up the inside, scrambling in ascent as best I could. The soles of my shoes flat as much as possible against the tunnel's sides, until I burst from the entrance and slipped and stumbled onto one of the platforms, now a wet and slippery wood. I grabbed a hold of the canvas netting and stared through it into the world of chaos and tumult below. Tommy! I screamed down at my friend who was still desperately fighting his way through the pit. He looked up at me. Fear in his eyes. As the slide I had clambered up began to creak and crack in the swirl and the howl. The shark rose for a moment above the surface. I saw it turn and disappear back beneath under a flash of impossible lightning. "'Don't leave me!' Tommy screamed back at me, the white flash reflecting sharp in his wide and terror-filled eyes. "'Don't leave me behind, Cameron!' please the bridge upon which i was perched had begun to violently sway and in the thrall of a ripple of thunder i made my decision i made the decision that would follow me as a shadow for the rest of my life i left him i'll get help i shouted i'll get help and i'll come back for you please cameron please don't leave me he screamed in a voice which still to this day haunts my dreams and I turned from him, and staggered to my feet, stumbling through passage after passage, sprinting down wet wooden corridors, clambering through rope netting as his cries for help became lost through the clamor of the storm. I remember closing my eyes, of forcing myself onwards, praying for rescue, for a way out. I remember slipping and sprawling down into a pipe, of crashing round the edge and landing on a floor of foam and opening my eyes to find myself back in the lobby of the watery wildhouse, the bathroom lights still flickering, and the roll of thunder still audible in the distance. So I ran. I tried the doors first in a panic, knocking aside the cardboard pirates, heart rate rising upon discovering that they were, of course, locked tight shut. The memories blur here, but I must have returned to the bathroom, Climbed up the sides of a stall and pushed myself through the window. I ran all the way back to Tommy's house. I woke his parents, hyperventilating. They wanted me to come back to the wild house. They were frightened. I wasn't making sense, they told me, gripping my shoulders. And I refused. I refused to return. I told Tommy I would go back for him, and I did not. The police were called. I stayed at the house until my parents came to pick me up. They were too shocked to be angry. Everyone was at first. But Tommy was never found, and I never saw him again. I never tried to make sense of what had happened to us that night in the ball pit. I never wanted to. To do so reminded me of my own failure, my own cowardice. And I struggled with the internal rage, the self-hatred, for a long, long time. The guilt gnawed away at me, and so I tried my hardest to just forget. To forget what I had done. You may be wondering, listener, why would I recall this woeful story now? Why would I choose to share it with you tonight? Over twenty years after the events took place, I fastened on my shoes and checked that I have my knife and flashlight securely fastened to my belt. I did a lot of moving around in my early to mid-twenties, I lived for a time very far away, and then for a time not so far away. Spent a few months in my childhood home, spent a few years on the other side of town. I met a girl. We had a kid. A son. He turned seven a few weeks ago. I open up my front door and head out into the night, locking it quietly behind me. I've left my wife a note. I owe her that much, at least. Whether she will understand any of what is written is another thing, but she'll need the truth, I've decided. My son was at a birthday party today. A friend's. My wife sorted the whole thing, the drop-off and the gifts, etc. I've been busy, you see. We received a phone call late this afternoon from the mother of my son's friend, the mother of the birthday boy. She was in hysterics. We could barely understand what she was saying. The police arrived at our house about twenty minutes later. It's late. There are no other cars on the road. My muscles are tensed and my hands are slick with sweat on the wheel. The air is ice. Our son had gone missing, the police told us. He had disappeared. And a search had officially begun, we were assured. We were told not to panic and that they would do everything in their power to find him. At some point in this process, I realized where exactly it was. That the birthday party in question had been held, they'd undergone a rebranding at some point in their history, a change of ownership, expansions, all that crap. But it was the same building. At the heart of it, it was the same place, the watery wild house, called something else now, apparently. But that doesn't matter, because they're never going to find my son. They'll never find him because they don't know where to look, and he's missing because I lied to my friend. I lied and I left him behind, all those years ago, and now I'm facing my penance. I have lost my son, as I lost Tommy. I bring the car to a stop and turn off the headlights. I stare for a minute or two into the darkness. I slam my hands against the wheel. I run my fingers through my hair. I take a deep breath, and I leave the vehicle. I close the door behind me, and I head around the back of the building. I already know that the window will be cracked open. Cracked open just enough. I'm sorry I left you, Tommy. Forgive me. Please, please forgive me. Help me find my boy. Help me find my son. And with teeth clenched and blood cold, I jump up to the window and clamber on inside.